0: I think they captured a lot of what my heart's all about, what I believe we're doing here. Um, Welcome to church today. It's really, really good to have you here. I'm excited about what we're going to go through in the next five weeks. Hope you can come back every week. Love to have you be a part of it, inviting you to do that like I just did in that video. Um, You know, I'm convinced more than ever that um, you're, you're here by God's design. You know, we we often downplay what's called in theological terms the sovereignty of God, but I believe you're here because God called you here. (laughs) Sometimes we think we called ourselves to do something when actually it was God that orchestrated and planned it all out for us to be a part of it. And I believe many of us have been in this church, and I've seen this like over 40 years, people become a part of it for a period of time or the whole time, and God uses them because God called them. It was God's design. You and I are Placed in a very strategic place. Do you realize we're in between the two most powerful cities in the world, Washington, D.C. and New York City? And what happens here in this church is very strategic, could have an influence around the world because of where God's put us. So I think we're in a great place. God's given us a great facility, a great history of what he's been building. And if we could go from my garage to this, oh my gosh, where could we go from here This is absolutely astounding, and it's uh, like I said in the video, it's like a dream. Yeah, I can't believe what we could do next. I mean, just I dream of what we could do next. It's very, very exciting. That's why we're calling it Beyond. I got the t-shirt and everything. (laughs) You can get one out there. There's all kinds of stuff. They got pens. They got all that stuff. We'll give it to you just to kind of get us thinking about what God's called us to do. Our word of the year, we said at the beginning of this year, was the word family, So we spent time talking about family issues, talking about marriage issues, talking about parenting issues, and now we're going to change channels to talking about the family of God, us, the church, and going beyond where we've been and going to the next place God has us be. You know, 40 years ago... I started this church, and really all I wanted to do was be a church. And over the years, I've wrestled with vision statements. We used to have a vision statement. We want to hear God's call and follow it. We want everybody to do that. It seemed too simple, so we're trying to redefine a new one, which we've got now. And I'm going to show it to you in just a second. And, you know, we've been bringing that out for the last several months now. And... It was during that time wrestling with that. Man, man, it's almost be two years ago now. And I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm trying to write things down. I'm reading different books. I'm reading scripture. I'm trying to figure out what God's trying to say to me. Something new and fresh. A way of putting this that had more definition to it than just hearing God's call and follow it. And it's like the Lord said to me. I'm not kidding you. He's almost like, like he said, "I already told you." I mean, literally, I'm agonizing for hours, and he's saying, "I already told you." Build the church. Jesus promised, and we're going to look at that verse today, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't stop it. Well, I think that's what I want to be a part of. Something that can't be stopped. It's going to have eternal value. Jesus promised it himself. So it was like being reaffirmed again that all we're trying to do here is be church. The real church, like in the book of Acts, the real church like the book of Ephesus or Thessalonica or the churches that's first started and throughout the centuries have been used of God. That's all we want to be in this church. Let me take a fresh look at you with you at our church vision statement. It reads like this We want to see communities where people are engaged and equipped now these are the key parts we 're going to look at jesus centered and missionally engaged and relationally healthy in the next three weeks i 'm going to be going through that and starting today with jesus centered and i 'm saying that because that 's where we all need to start i 'll show you today if we aren 't jesus centered what have we done we haven 't really done much we 've got a big organization we 've got a lot of people to come out like so what i 'm not impressed. But Jesus-centered makes all the difference in the world. And it literally changes people's lives. You've seen that. You've heard that. You've, I've seen it in my life. You've probably seen it in your life. Jesus-centered is what we've got to come back to. The very beginning, the very basis of what we're all about. Now, to explain that, why Jesus-centered is so important, I thought I'd use, a little, uh, I'd use this chair again. This is actually one of the folding metal chairs that... Sounds tough. How would you like to come sit on this cold winter morning on that little chair in a garage? Wouldn't that be an inviting thing? That's what we're inviting people to do. This is actually one of the chairs that's been in my house. And um, let's suppose, though, instead of the church chair, this chair has a boy sitting in it. And this boy is a very unruly little boy. He lies. He cheats, he steals, spits at people, hurts other kids, hurts himself, he's belligerent, he's unruly. How are you going to change this kid? How are you going to help this little boy? Well, I believe there's two approaches, and every, every approach falls in one of two categories. Either you make an outside-to-inside approach, or you make an inside-to-outside approach. I call one the outside approach, like you set up some new rules. Hey, pal, if you're going to make it here, you've got to do this. You know, get in line. Here's how you have to do it. And you set up strong, strict rules with boundaries around them. Or you just try and befriend him and persuade him. Or, you know, what's wrong? He just needs to be educated, educated, educated. <laughs> I, I kind of laugh at that one because uh, I've seen some pretty educated boys do some pretty bad things in my life. But anyway, you educate them or give them rewards. You know, if you do this, you get this. If you do that, you get that. You know, this is how it's going to work. Or coercion. Hey, pal, you've had timeouts? Well, you're going to laugh about timeouts because you? You, you, you're going to get paid back big time for what you're doing. You know, you're, you, you coerce them into it. I believe those are all outward to inward approaches trying to change this boy. Do you understand? We in the church don't really believe that works. Do you understand? We don't believe that's really going to change a little boy much. We believe that the inward approach needs to happen. Something needs to change in the inside of that little boy. So all of a sudden his conscience is awakened. All of a sudden he has something he cares about more than just himself. All of a sudden he has new desires and longings to do things he never wanted to do. The Bible calls it being born again. The Bible calls it the Holy Spirit coming upon him. Something changes on the inside and the boy changes his outward rules, behavior, attitudes, whatever you want to call it. That's the core of what I'm talking about when I say Jesus-centered. Even with little boys, we say, ask Jesus into your heart. Why? Because we know he has to be in your heart. Because from the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. From the heart, the behavior comes. One time, sometimes we tend to think differently than that. I believe the unruly little boy sitting in that chair is a great representation of America today. It's a great picture of who we are. Let me explain. You have all kinds of political people speaking out of control, like a little boy with a mouth out of control. Corporate scandals, people cheating, corporations cheating, taking money, sexual abuse, sexual stories... Family breakdowns, drug abuse, suicides, crime is rampant, abortions happen all the place. Hey, I'm just reading the headlines from today's news. Every one of those statistics, every one of those subjects. That's the little boy. He's out of control. It's like the representation of America today. And what are we going to do? People say, well, what we need is a new economic system. What we need is a new socialistic solution. What we need is some politics and politicians' decisions. Baloney! That's why you never hear this boy speaking about that. I have no hope in that whatsoever. It won't work. You You, you might get the little boy to buckle under for a while, but his heart is wrong. Now, How did we get this place in America? Well, take the Bible out, take God out, take prayer out. You got an empty soul. You got a little boy who just has no, no means, no reason to be good. Nothing to live for. That's where America's at. And the only hope for America is the church. Because the church is going to say, no, you got to be born again. No, something has to change inside you. Do you understand that... I'm no sociologist, but this is just common sense. If I don't have in me, as a society, we don't have inside of us some kind of conscience about what's right and what's wrong and should do this, shouldn't do that, then what has to happen to get us in line? A government has to come over us with some sociological group or, or some, some, some communistic group, and they put the rules on you. Because a society has to work together. So either they rule over you or you rule yourself from your heart. But when our society's not being ruled from its heart, guess what's going to happen? It doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure that one out. It's going to get so out of control around here, someone's going to have to say, well, I've got to control these people, right? Doesn't that just make sense? Like I said, I'm not a sociologist, but like that just makes common sense. Read the history books. I am a historian. That's what I've spent most of my life studying is history. And if you look through history, that's always the way it is. And I believe there's no hope for America. There's no hope for your family. There's no hope for your own soul. Unless God comes in and gets a hold of you on the inside. And do you understand? That's the core, the core, the core of what church is all about. That's why I really believe being Jesus-centered and being the church that God called us to be is really the only hope for America because I don't believe these other things will hold us together, make it just like an unruly little boy, put all the rules on him, beat him, hurt him, whatever you want to, threaten him, give him rewards. He ain't going to change because what's wrong with the little boy is his heart needs to change. That's why the scripture uses these terms about being born again and being Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers when they're praying. That's when they changed and that's when the church started Acts chapter 2. Or the Reformation, fifteen seventeen, the church had become so corrupt, so intertwined with politicians, so so so. It's called the Dark Ages, coming out of the Dark Ages, and there's a great Reformation with Martin Luther and John Calvin and all the things that happened. All that was was a reawakening of the of the soul of the church. Then there came the Great Awakening, seventeen thirty, seventeen ninety, two Great Awakenings, and every one of them was a renewal. And to tell you the truth, I believe. That's the only hope for America, the only hope for our our culture, only hope for this church, only hope for your own life and your family is renewal. Where we realize again, you know, Lord, you got to change my heart. You got to change my attitude. You got to change my thinking. My my behavior behavior is only the result of my heart. And so I pray for a heart change. I pray for that kind of renewal. That's what I'm hoping for. I put down in what's called the big idea of the sermon, becoming Jesus centered is our only hope. And the first point of it is this look at point one. To be Jesus centered is the only hope for our soul. Turn with me in your Bibles to to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Let's just read this verse. In fact, you know, I kind of skipped. I got so excited there, I kind of skipped our prayer time. So let me just offer up a prayer right now, a quick prayer to the Lord. Lord, help us as we study your word. Help us understand it. Help us get insight. And Lord, Lord, renew us. I pray for the people listening to me right now. It'd be a defining moment in their life. We're trying to rethink church. We're trying to rethink who we are. We're trying to rethink even our own culture we live in. And recognizing, oh Lord, we need the outpouring of God upon us. To revive us. Revive our kids. Our grandkids. Revive our culture, our community, the people around us. And unless something happens in our hearts, I'm not sure anything really good's going to happen. So, Lord, change our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, point one. To be Jesus-centered is the only hope for our soul. Look at chapter 16. Jesus got real strict about this. Look what he says in chapter 16, verse 24. We'll read the rest of it in a minute, but let's start with just verse 24. Jesus, then Jesus told his disciples... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Does, doesn't that sound a little stringent to you? A little over the top? Boy, that's strict. First step, just deny yourself. Well, like, who's going to do that? Like Second step, take up your own cross. Third step, just follow me. Why so strict? Why so radical? Why, why is Jesus making it sound so, so terrible? You know, it's like, it's like calling an ambulance because you got a sliver in your finger. Well, it's because Jesus looks at humanity. Jesus looks at you and me. Jesus looks at America and goes, Well, it ain't no sliver. We, we, gotta, we got a patient here who's dead. Get out the paddles. We got to shock him back. In fact, the scripture says, You're dead. We are all dead in our trespasses and sins. Let me show you a few verses. Let's look at the book of Romans. The way the apostle Paul put it is this, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. In verse 23 of chapter 3, the same chapter goes on to say this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That was the point he was trying to make. And then chapter 6 says this, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, so it says we're all sinners. We're all dead because we're sinners. He says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus is sounding the warning here. You need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him because he's saying, you got no hope, none. None. If the patient, like I said, is dead, that's why we're calling the ambulance, that's why we're taking out the paddles. Their only hope is Jesus-centered. Only hope is coming to Jesus. That's what, what the scriptures are trying to declare, what Jesus' message was. That's what the basis of the gospel is all about, is that we need inward change, and God has to change our hearts through being born again. So Jesus goes on to say something else. Look what he goes on to say. So he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Then verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he'll find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? There's that word soul again? For the Son of Man is, is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person. Wow, there's a payback for good behavior. There's a payback for following God. There's a payback for interchange according to what he has done. Wow. Pretty astounding statement. Why does Jesus put it like that? Because Jesus is trying to get these disciples and anyone else listening to him. It might have been the 12, some say, it might have even been more than that, that were sitting listening to Jesus. And he's saying, what I'm hoping you'll do is you'll take this moment to reevaluate your life. And where you're spending your time, and where you're spending your money, and where where you're spending your energy. Because you keep trying to save your life. He keep trying to make it happier or better with all this craziness that you're doing. And, and you're going to lose your own soul. So he's trying to get every one of us, us today even, reading it, to reevaluate. And the first thing I'm hoping will happen today is through this first point that we're, we're, we're talking about being Jesus-centered, you would reevaluate where you're spending your time or your money or your energy. I have a friend who's a pastor out uh, on LBI, Long Beach Island. One of my favorite places to go to the beach. I love LBI. Island Baptist Church. He's a pastor of Island Baptist Church. And he was meeting with me just mm, probably a week and a half, two weeks ago. And we we're talking about all the things. And there's a couple other pastors there with me, too. One from Mount Laurel. Another one from somewhere else. I forget where, who we had there that day. But anyhow, we're talking. I remembered his conversation because he's telling me about his church. And he said, you know... Um, my church is pretty small right now, maybe 80 people or so, maybe 100 on a good Sunday. He says, but during the summer, like, oh, man, it explodes. You know, I got all kinds of people here because people come down to their shore houses. And he says, to be quite frank with you guys, he said, uh, my church is um, well off. <laughs> I mean, people that come to my church have a lot of means because they usually have two houses, maybe even three or they have retired now, and they sold their, their house on the mainland. They live, live at the beach. This is where they live, even this time of year. He says, so I, I've kind of got three congregations. I got one the fall, one the spring, and then I got one the summer. That's a big one. And then this one in the winter. And he says, what's, what's funny is the people on the island are so different. This kid, this guy grew up in Medford. He says, they're very different than Medford people. And he says, they, they keep thinking, man, if I could just get another house or add on this to my house, or redo the kitchen, or we need a new deck, or if I could get a new boat, maybe two boats, if we could go on more vacations and go to different islands and different places, then I'll be happy. And they never get it. It's They're just like Jesus said, they're trying to make their life, they're trying to save their life, and they're losing it. He was telling me the story the other day how an 80-year-old man, very successful guy, and he had sold his main line, his house on, on, on the mainland here, and he lived on LBI now. And he says, he's doing quite well. He says, and I share with him. He's 80 years old. I share with him the gospel. And he says, the man prayed to receive Christ. He says, the dramatic change in his life is phenomenal. Just in a year. He says, because he finally found. what. What did he find? Just what I said at the beginning. Just like the little boy in the chair, what he found was inward change. It starts with being Jesus-centered. And that's what he was beginning to discover. Imagine, imagine if we had a church full of people that were Jesus-centered, really deciding, you know, I think Jesus was right. I'm going to quit trying to chase and chase and run and run and get and get to make my life. Instead, I'm turning into the Lord. Jesus was saying this statement to his disciples, saying, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, you put me on the throne of your life. You let me be in charge. That's what's going to save your soul. That's what's going to change your life. That's where the fulfillment's going to come. And my pastor friend was saying, man, when you see it happening in people's life, it's so profound. And you know what? Was Jesus saying this to a bunch of wealthy people? No. You don't have to have a lot of money to be a person chasing money. (laughs) You know, in fact, sometimes I've met guys that have plenty of money, and they, they like get this more than any because they're like, yeah, have been there, done that. Doesn't work. You need the Lord. I've met multi-millionaires like that. And other people who just have a little bit of money, they're still chasing it. Thinking they're going to get it. What? No. It has nothing to do with your financial status. It has to do with your heart. Jesus is talking to disciples. They're regular people like you and me. No, this isn't just a problem rich people have. This is a problem all of us have. We try and save our life. Jesus said, please don't do that. You're going to lose it. It's ruining your life. Turn to the Lord. That's the first point. second one is this. To be Jesus-centered is the only hope for our families. I believe it's not just our hope. It's the only hope for our kids, even. Look what it says in chapter, Jesus is in the Great Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6 of Matthew Started with verse 25, he talks about the subject of worry. Look at this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven—they bundled weeds together to make like a log—will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith, therefore? Do not be anxious, saying, "What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear?" For the Gentiles seek all seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But notice this verse, key verse. But instead, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The subject is very clear clearly anxiety or worry. And and, and he's telling us here what you worry about sets your priorities. Have you ever thought of it that way? Your priorities are set by what you're worried about. What you get more anxious, most anxious about, determines in your line of uh, lineup of what's important or what's not so important. I I see this so obviously in people's lives that, and 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 sometimes we don't realize it's highly influential in our family. So I use this phrase, more is caught than taught, to say to folks, you know, what you're living like, what you're worried about, what you keep talking about, is more influential on your children than what school you send them to, what church you bring them to, what moral values you teach them, because more is caught than taught. They see what you worry about. They understand what your real priorities are, no matter what church you go to or what things you're telling them or what school they, they, they get sent to. More is caught than taught. They know it. They read it in your attitudes. They see it in your feelings. They see it in your expressions. This is a very important thing for each one of us to address because it will address our families. It will have an influence in our demeanor and how we come across to our children and our grandchildren. Because they can see. It's just human nature. Everybody understand, read, We read each other like that. We, we, we can read it right away. It's like they're it's coming across what their priority really is. So Jesus is trying to get everybody to reevaluate their priorities here, saying, you know, the anxiousness in your life is ruining your life. Your worry is 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 setting priorities that are going to lead you to destruction. And what does he talk about? He talks about, well, don't center your life on food, don't center your life on health, don't center your life on clothes. You've got to have a better life than that. Center on the kingdom of God. Did you notice that last verse? But seek. Instead, I want you to put that aside and seek first the kingdom of God. Of course, we need clothes. Of course, we need food. Of course, we need some of these basic things of life and, and even some nice luxuries or whatever, like a TV screen or whatever. But God's saying, hey, hey, don't make that first, make the kingdom first. I've been reading a book lately that I really, really like. I would recommend it to most anybody. It's called The Steward Leader, and it's written by Scott Roden. He's been the president of this, the CEO of that, all these things. And he says, you know, I think I had it all wrong most of my career. He says, even though I accomplished a lot of stuff, he says, I kept acting and believing that I was like the owner. And he says, as I read the scripture and I get more honest as I get older, I'm starting to realize I've never owned anything. And I never will. I'm just a steward for a short period of time. So he he makes this. That's his thesis. He goes on and, and shows that in this book. And he does a beautiful job. And there's one page I just had to read to you because I thought I can't say it this good. So he uses a little illustration, too, that I thought was very helpful. He says, I was preaching a sermon. And he's not a pastor like me. But he said, I was preaching a sermon recently in which I used a wooden box to hide what I claimed to be a treasure beyond all imaginable value. I said that in that box was the one item that kings and presidents would go to war over. That wealthy and powerful people would spend their lives trying to pursue and gain. That every person in the church that morning would give everything they owned to possess it. If even if they could only have it for a little bit, they would do it. So I turned my back to the congregation and I opened the box and revealed the highly coveted item. The item was a magic wand. But this was not an ordinary wand. This was a a magical device that had the power to give to its bearer complete control over any and every area of his life. With it, a person could control their health and their finances, manipulate the stock market, change the outcome of sporting events, and determine the weather. The bearer could alter the behavior of others, smite his or her enemies, even the score of all injustices done in their life, and make things right where he or she had been wronged. The one who used the wand could get a better job, improve the behavior of his or her spouse and their kids, buy a bigger house, take a vacation anywhere in the world, and on and on. The wand represented the control we so long for in our life. It is desire for power, the ability to shape things so they come out our way. To be the Lord of our lives and the people and the things that comp- uh, comp- uh, comprised it we believe that if we just had more control our life would be better we could make things come out the way we want them to and guide ourselves to the right destiny this is the best way i can illustrate second kingdom building it is less about our stuff than about our hearts But it is all about our stuff as well. It is the struggle between God's kingdom and a counterfeit earthly kingdom. We want to label as ours, thinking somehow we own it. (laughs) It's ultimately about the lordship of Christ. In the sharpest possible distinction, the call to live for Christ is a call to give up all things in our earthly kingdom and to seek first his kingdom. God has asked us to lay aside those things that are not of his kingdom. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer proclaimed it clearly when he says, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So if you have come to Christ, God has called you to step off the throne and come into his kingdom fully, completely, and unreservedly. Imagine what this church would be like if everybody here was a one kingdom person. But the problem is. And one of the biggest problems of being an American, there's a lot of other options. So we are two kingdom people, three kingdom people, whatever you want to call it. We read this passage about seek first the kingdom of God, and it just flows right by us, because really we've got our own little kingdom here, and we're trying to build it up and working so hard, like he says, trying to save our life, and we're losing it because we're not one kingdom people. When I talk about renewal, when I talk about revival, that's what I'm talking about. If the church doesn't revive, if we don't become one kingdom people, if we're not living from the inside out, from our heart being changed by God and ruled by God, how could we expect this world around us to change in any way? They're not gonna. We're the only hope. We're it. And God has to work in our hearts, so This whole Beyond series, I hope you get it. It's all about heart renewal. That's where I'm going. I want revival, nothing less. I want renewal in me, in you, in us. It's our only hope of our soul and even of our own families. Thirdly, to be Jesus-centered is the only hope for our church. In Matthew chapter 16 again, except this time just verse 18, you heard me quoted on the on the video. Jesus said this. Well, let me give you the context first. Jesus was hearing people talk about him, and um, he said to his disciples, hey, hey, who are the guys? Who, who do they say that I am? And they said, well, some guys are saying you're John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Remember, because the king killed him. And other people are saying, you're the old prophet Elijah, raised from the dead. And some are saying, you're this, you're that. They're saying all kinds of things. So he, he just says to, hey, well, who do you guys think I am? Because they've seen the miracles. They're so astounded by him. And so Peter, the head apostle, pipes up. He says this, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. <laughs> Jesus says, you're blessed, Peter, because you didn't figure that out. My heavenly father showed it to you. And then he says this statement that I quoted earlier. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The the part that pops out at me, there's a lot in that verse, but the idea that Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and nothing, nothing on this earth, nothing even in hell can stop it. To me, I think, Well, then that's where I want to invest my time, my money, my energy in church. Do you understand? This verse came to me very clearly in seminary. That's why why I'm a pastor. Like, where else would I want to spend my life? Where else am I going to get the best return for my time, my money, my energy? Church is guaranteed 100% by Jesus Christ himself. He backs it up. Nothing else on the planet Earth has that guarantee. Everything else is promised to burn and be worthless someday. Not the church. So I'm putting my time, my money, my energy. In in fact, I'm going to bet my life on it. I'll start a church. I'll grow the church. I'll stick with the church through good times, through bad times. Because nothing else is worth it. Honestly, to God, that's how I think based on this verse. And I don't see how that could be wrong. Jesus saying, come on. I guarantee it. Yeah. So I am so happy that 40 years we've gotten this far and thinking, oh my gosh, if we could be this kind of people, these one kingdom people, these people that really put Jesus on the throne, have changed from the inside out, what could happen next? Imagine, even forget the other two services. Just the people on this service got turned on. That would be enough. We had 17 in my house, and that's calling kids too. Maybe 10 adults, you know. Like, and look what happened. Unbelievable. When someone gets serious about God and says, you know what? I'm really going to let you be the boss. Well, you were anyway, but I'm going to admit it now. I want to live for the kingdom of God. Oh, I know that still leaves a lot of questions. Well, how about this and how about that? Good, 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 good. That's exactly what I want you to wrestle with. That's exactly what God wants you to reevaluate. Where am I really at with God? Am I really being honest with these truths in Scripture? Am I really making Him Lord of my life? Or am I just kind of posing, putting it on? Oh, good questions. Exactly what you need to be thinking about. But I know we come up with questions about this kind of stuff. and I remember listening to a sermon some time ago by a preacher from back home. His name is John Piper. He's from Minnesota where I grew up. And as he was talking about this, he said, well, wait a minute. It's God's always building his church. Doesn't look like it sometimes. How about 9-11, 2001? Planes hitting the trade tower. Does that look like he's building his church then? John Piper was answering that question. He put it like this. Was Jesus building his church on September 11, 2001? Well, I know this. God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways, Romans 11:33. 33. But what if... What if Christ saw these planes headed for the destruction of thousands of people and the upheaval of nations? What if at the same time he saw 200 million Hindus, untouchables in India, the Dalates? What if he he saw that his um, his centuries-long work of dislodging them from Hinduism And bondage to it was about to come to a consummation and they were going to decide or contemplating embracing Islam or possibly even Christianity or even Buddhism to escape the caste system that they were under. And what if he foresaw that this Islam-driven terror attack on civilization in New York would have the mass effect of tilting millions of these Indians... Away from the falsehood of Islam and toward the truth of Christianity. What if he withheld his power for stopping the terrorists because along with 10,000 other hope-filled effects, he had a view of to, to the everlasting life of thousands and millions of untouchables in India. Was he building his church on September 11th? Well, one thing is sure. One thing is for sure. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Matthew 24 14. The Christ who rules earth and heaven said, I will build my church. Do you hear God's call in that for your life? Do you want to pursue something absolutely certain? Do you want to give yourself to something invincible? nothing done for Christ is ever done in vain. Give yourself to his cause. Wow. It's true. We can't figure out all the mysteries in life. You can't even figure them out in your own life. But we know the promises of God's word. And he says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't stop it. I'm kind of running out of time, but Let me just conclude with two things I'm asking you to do today. Number one, I'm I'm really hoping that right at this very time you're having kind of a a divine moment, a defining moment in your life. And you're thinking, wow, maybe maybe I've been looking at this wrong. Maybe I am a two-kingdom person, not a one-kingdom person maybe I'm not really changing from the inside out I'm just kind of keeping the rules. maybe some things need to be readjusted I sure hope you're having questions like that do you know that's what I preach for for God to change you on the inside for you to get a hold of him and him a hold of you like never before this whole beyond series thing this is about renewal of your heart that's what it's about yeah we're going to challenge you about giving because Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And when you really give is when you really find out where the heart's at. Oh, this has been true of me for 40 years. been true of everybody here. So many stories in this church. You'll be hearing some of them in the coming weeks. So I'm asking you, number one, to have a defining moment. Decide to have a defining moment putting Jesus at the center. That's what this whole sermon's been about, Right? saying, and I'll pray a prayer with you in just a minute. Lord, I will put you at the center. We'll pray that. He'll do it. He can change things way beyond me and my preaching to you. And then secondly, decide to commit to commit. There's a little card you're going to get on the way out. You can get on one of those tables. You can grab one on the table on the way out. This is like a prayer card. And it's talking about giving, of course, but the point is not just giving. The point is giving your heart. Our money is like a representation of it. And so through the weeks, we're going to talk about this more and more, but I'm wanting it to change your heart. I'm wanting God to change you. Because listen, listen, listen. We all agree. Our our country's like this unruly little boy. Okay. I bet everybody in the room agreed with that. How's he gonna change? Well, it's gotta be in the inside. Well, who's gonna change their inside? The church! It's the only hope for our whole country. I really believe that. What else is going to change the soul of a boy, soul of a man, soul of a woman? Nothing. But God can do that. So the whole gospel we preach, we need to now live out. And so I'm I'm praying that for you now. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, I pray for everybody here to be able to make two commitments right now. Number one, Lord more than ever before I want to make you Lord of my life maybe, maybe you need to start with repentance and say Lord I, I need to repent oh gee I've tried to build two kingdoms I've been chasing and chasing and not trying to make my life work I need to say okay I give it up it's yours that's where the joy of the Lord comes that's where the fulfillment comes the meaning to our life comes where we really let you be the Lord so right now I hope this is a defining moment for you why don't you say Lord I've done it before I'm doing it again here you are you're the Lord of my life I'm denying myself taking up my cross I'm going to follow you now only you died on the cross for my sins only you have made the way for me to go to heaven only you can satisfy my soul And then secondly, Lord, I'm going to take this little prayer card on the way out, and I'm going to use this as a prayer tool for the whole month. And I pray that you'll do a work on my heart through my thoughts about giving, through my thoughts about church and what church is about, through my thoughts about my own soul, my own family. Okay, Lord, I'm going to pray seriously to you, and I'm asking for change, that you would change me and our whole church. And Lord, as crazy sounds, even our whole country, revival, Lord, please, revival. Start with me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.